and welcome to Are We Gundam or Are We Isekai? The Internet's best episode-by-episode Gundam Seed podcast that was really just going to take a break for a couple of weeks from Destiny, I swear. My name is Jeremy. I've handed out invitations to one-on-one duels to solve trivial problems. I'm Tyler. My name is Zach. Yeah, anyway, we watched episode 22 of Gundam Build Fighters this week. Or, no, that would be good. That's probably a great episode. Don't remember what happens? I'm going to look it up right now. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's a fine episode of Gundam Build Fighters. It's not my favorite late episode of Gundam Build Fighters. It's very, we have one more match in this tournament, and we should use it to characterize one of the characters. Yeah, based on the title, I kind of assumed that. It, w- it was kind of a weak title. It's not the coolest fight that character gets either. So it's kind of a last minute, hey, let's introduce this last character. Oh, we don't have any time to do anything with him. Oh, well. Anyway, we're watching it. Uh, I just got my second shot, and I already feel the mind fuzzies, which isn't great. So hopefully this episode isn't terrible, but we'll see. No promises. It is called Devoted Heart, if you want to watch along. I don't hate this episode. It feels very much like a slow episode of Gundam Seed is the best compliment I can give it. It's not as good as last episode. I had the same feeling, actually, Jeremy. It is actually setting up a conflict that's going to come, right? And it ends on a moment of tension that you kind of want to see how it resolves. As a lot of the problems that Gundam Build Divers has with stakes and, hey, remember how this is a video game? But if you accept those or ignore them, it kind of works on its own merits. At the very least, we do still have the stakes of, at the end of the day, this is about whether or not they kill or save Sarah. So that's definitely stakes. We also have that improvement. I meant some of the minor things. Like, I do not know what the stakes are, for example, for any of the forces that say, no, we don't want to join the coalition. Like, what does Toriaborio lose if they're like, nah, champ, sorry, we're pro-Sara. She was in a training montage one time. <laughs> yeah, that I don't really understand because Tiger Wolf says that they're not in a position to refuse them. And I'm like, it's a, it's a video game, dude. What? They don't exactly have blackmail on you. Yeah, I was going to save it for when we get to that scene, but I do like how that's weirdly a conclusion to Tiger Wolf's kind of arc they set up where he's like, man, is running a force what I want to do? Like, I've lost all this independence, and this forces him to quit and be like, I've decided to go do the thing I want, which is helping you, my my pupil. To become, once more, a lone Tiger Wolf. Yeah. So I kind of like it, but again, if Toriboru doesn't log in, what are they going to do to them? Or if they just hang out in their monk place, being like, nah, bro, we're busy role-playing monks in China. Although I suppose if people are taking this very seriously as like GBN could be destroyed otherwise. But again, that's not like a position that where you can't refuse. That's just that most of them want to join. Like if Tiger Wolf had said, I put it to a vote in my force and they wanted to join, so I quit. That makes way more sense. Yeah, other, other than making it sound like it was basically a blackmail situation. Yeah, it sounds like Rommel has made them all a deal they can't refuse and they don't want to wake up with horse heads in their beds. Say so what really happens is uh, every year Rommel throws just like a really sweet party and he's threatening to withhold invitations. I have a new headcanon for Rommel, actually. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Given his talk about disabled people last week and his clear fetishization of the military, I think he is an ex-military person who does veteran therapy through GBN and that most of his force are ex-military as well. Interesting. So I I had that in mind for him very early on, but I like lost the thread on that at some point. I had not extended it to the rest of his force. That would make a certain amount of sense, though. I wouldn't think that the majority of his force is. I would definitely believe that he does that, at least in part. Yeah, I don't think it's the entirety of his force, but I think that's probably how it started and a lot of his force are ex-military because they all act that way. And none of them are like, you're a goddamn tyrant. I'm sure some of that is people are signing up expecting that from the number two force in the game. 
But I wonder if a lot of them are just ex-military and used to that life. And this is a way to be in that life without the actual dangers of it. It's definitely an interesting theory. I don't think they'll ever actually answer it. But No, they won't. Rommel is not one of the characters we see in real life. Oh boy, we get to see r- people in real life. <laughs> I recently rewatched the ending of Re-Rise, kind of for comparison, and also just because I couldn't sleep one night. And we do see the GM, Miss Tori, and Kiyoya all meeting in real life at the end of that. The Game Master looks like the most boring business dude you can draw. Yep, yep. Kiyoya looks like Kiyoya, except for that he has less intense eyes and is brunette. So he basically just went the Bill Divers route of character creation. Yes. Miss Tori looks like a Great Gatsby character. <laughs> like, imagine she was in the Great Gatsby. That's what she looks like. <laughs> Well, I mean, it makes sense to just basically make your avatar in a game like that just like a more idealized version of you. Like, that makes a lot of sense to me. Or with, like, Momo, how she gave herself long hair that she doesn't necessarily have to take care of. And this is where I plug Monster Factory, where two brothers make exceptionally horrible creations. So yeah, that's my new Rommel headcanon, but we do not see Rommel in real life. We preserve the ferret mystery. <laughs> I feel like we do see Maggie in real life at some point in Re-Rise, but I could be wrong about that. I'm now just thinking, how deep does the ferret hole go? I would believe that both versions of the headcanon that we talked about are kind of, are possibly true, where he's disabled or ex- ex-military disabled and does the therapy through GBN. I was thinking, like, he's like, a lot of my force members are like that, and he's so military, I'm like, huh. I wonder if he has less like a lot of injured veterans on his force. That would make a lot of sense, actually. And it kind of gives him a leadership aura. It, it fits in with what he does in this episode, too, I think. Also, Rommel is, I think, clearly the most charismatic leader in the series. I would definitely agree with that. Like, Rommel actually acts like a leader, I feel. Whereas Kiyoya is basically like, I'm in charge because I'm the best I'm the best player in the game. Yeah, he picked up followers, basically. And he's less that than Ogre is, but you're definitely right. Yeah, what does, like, does Ogre contribute anything, like, bureaucratically or administratively to his team? Like, directions, I think. And by directions, I mean, this is our goal. I feel like he comes in with a board and says, this is what we're going to do. You guys figure out how we're going to do it. He's kind of the figurehead for the team. I mean, I feel like he is the leader in the game files and everything. I feel like he started it, but he has no leadership skills. All right. Anything else we want to see about the episode in general, or shall we just dive into it? Let's build dive in. Man, how have we not been saying that the entire time? Because it wasn't worth thinking up. <laughs> okay, fair. Both, both of these reasons. Again, it is episode 22, Devoted Heart. You can watch on YouTube or Crunchyroll or Funimation. And it's slow, but it's not the worst series of your time. Except for, you know, all the episodes that you needed to watch to get here. So we start at the Build Divers base, where I assume they are watching a rerun of the message, because they don't seem surprised by any of it. I assumed that this was basically just a reinterpretation of the exact thing that we saw last time. Well, yeah, this is definitely for our, the audience's benefit, but I think this is them rewatching it, because... Yuki is very calm about it. And even Momo is being analytical, even if she's being genki about it, being like, hey, why isn't Sarah fighting back? And then he's like, hey, let's go rescue her. I'm sure Kiyoya will help if we talk to him. But Yuki's like, well, we need to save GBN first or at least find a way. And Momo's like, no, we just have to genki and shonen at him. (laughs) It does reinforce that they haven't talked to Koichi yet. And Momo's like, and if he doesn't, we'll take him by force. And Ayame has to be like, look, I'm the responsible one. I'm team mom over here when, when Maggie's not around. No, Maggie is their actual mom. Ayame is team mom. <laughs> oh, man, now I'm just imagining the Zero Maru with a bunch of juice boxes. <laughs> <laughs> Ninja tricks, apple juice. 
And Ayami's like, yeah, plus if we pull too much shenanigans, they'll just ban us. A thing they can do. Apparently. Like, they haven't bothered to do that with any other troublemakers so that we've seen so far. Yeah. In fact, most of them have been welcomed back with open arms. Although, maybe they just believe strongly in temporary bans, and it would be super easy for them to ban the Build Divers until the patch in four days or whatever. I'm, like, almost surprised that they didn't just do that as a, like, security precaution. It would be kind of reasonable, especially with how much of a dick the GM is being. On the other hand, again, with break decals, they're like, I don't know, we have a signed confession, but there's no proof, can't do anything. <laughs> well, there's also the side part of it that is, like, depending on what their terms of service are. Like, I know that's not a binding contract for those kind of things, but you still wouldn't want to basically establish a precedent for GMs abusing the power to just ban people. This GM seems like the sole GM and, like, he's judge, jury, and executioner, so in that case, that's very much what you want. I mean, the secret is any online community is actually a tyranny. It's just you don't usually interact with the top level of government. Also, Riku comes in being very sedated. And uh, Yuki and Momo both jump to their feet. And Riku's like, yeah, I saw it. And Yuki's like, why are you so down, Riku? And he's like, no additional reason. Uh, as he flashes back to seeing Ogre triumph over him, question mark. They both got pretty beat up. Yeah, I'm not sure what we're supposed to read into that. They're not talking in like the shot. Are we supposed to take it as they just had a discussion? Or are we supposed to take it as Riku is upset he lost, despite knowing that he should be upset about more pressing matters? That's the closest thing to a personality trait he's had, is that time he lost to Ogre, he got upset. And so Koichi calls them on their TV. And he's like, hey, I might have found a way to save Sarah. Just launches straight into that without any preamble. And it's actually not a bad line to enter into the opening off of because it's actually like a uh, a decent cliffhanger for it. Kind of, sort of, except for we already kind of know that from the last episode. Yeah. I agree with you. I don't think it's bad. But cliffhanger just seems like a strong turn of phrase. I just couldn't think of a better phrase for it, honestly. It's not a terrible cold open. I will agree with you, though. So we get back to the opening, and they are now in the bird cave. <laughs> they're with Miss Tori. And they're like, we're trying to make a EXE file to download Sarah into the real world. Like, this is a totally normal thing. It's fine. I love how it's labeled cyberspace. And, and it's real got, like, space. Well, and on the, on the cyberspace thing, it has, like, medical and other things on there. I, I like the planet coding technology that they have put in here. Koichi made sure they got a patent on that. Well, yeah, I mean, you would definitely want to get a patent on that shit because holy hell, you know how much money you could make selling that thing? I also like how entertainment is one of the things in there. Architecture is in there, Cause. traffic control. And he's like, after we got her out, we just delete everything that's scattered around GBN and we're good. Plan seems to be pretty straightforward and simple. And Koichi's like, if it works, everything will be great. And Yuki's like, hey, can you actually do that, though? Seems like kind of a lot. The default expressions they left all the other characters on in that shot are not great. <laughs> no, they should have reactions to this, for sure. And Koichi's like, yeah, normally the system doesn't put out so much data, so we need the tool to interfere with it. So we made the build decal. And Ayame's like, wait a minute, I understand basic marketing. <laughs> Well, I mean, obviously that would be a trigger word for her because she spent so much time with the brake decals. I like how the optional bus scale up is like three trillion or something. That is a lot of capacity percentage. How many digits is that? Three, six, nine, twelve. That's 319 billion. Scale up. 
Look, if you want to make your waifu real, this is what it takes. <laughs> All right, I guess we're going to have to get working on that, guys. There are weebs that need waifus. Is this like reverse isekai? This is like engineering how to pull someone <laughs> out of a fantasy universe? Yes. No, Tyler, I believe you're looking for uh, the devil as a part-timer. So Ayami's like, wait a minute, the build decal is just a break decal, right? Well, all the rest of them are very happy, and then Ayame is like, hang on, hang on. And it makes sense that Ayame has the strongest feelings about a break decal being used. And also, the two brain cells needed to figure that out. (laughs) And then it jumps back to Koichi talking to Palpatine. And he's like, yeah, only you and I can do this. And Tsukasa's like, so, the person who stopped me from destroying GBN is destroying GBN, huh? I like that irony. And uh, it'd be more interesting to let it play out, but I want to be the one to bring it down. (laughs) Yeah, it wouldn't be fun if GBN just exploded for no reason. That would be very like the show, and I hate that. This is a character thing for him. It's like, I want to be the one to burn GBN to the ground. I don't want it to just burn itself to the ground. That doesn't have the catharsis I need. So I will help you save it so that I can burn it down later. So Yuki is like, Koichi, you knew the person who distributed the brake decals? And he's like, yeah, I didn't mean to hide it or anything. It just seemed like it would make a real interesting episode and it would probably take an entire episode to explore. And you know firsthand how Riku gets when we have an episode without him. (laughs) Koichi just wanted to maintain his status as a member of the cast and not get kicked off for a couple episodes like Yuki. They didn't really go into it, but at the same time, the... He didn't know that Sukasa was the one that was distributing them at the beginning. Like, he only learned that at the end. But I think this series would be greatly served by an episode all about Koichi and Sukasa and their past, and maybe them trying to reconcile afterwards in the second half of it. That would do a tremendous amount for Koichi's character and make Sukasa coming back here a little more powerful, even though I do think that generally works. And he's like, anyway, it, it's still a hack, but there's no illegal code. Wink, wink. It's, you know, it just lets us get more out. The terms of service doesn't say anything about extra exporting. Yeah, I mean, that's technically true. It probably doesn't say anything about extracting more data. It probably does say something about modifying the code in any way. That's probably true as well. He's like, and I promise it won't cause any more bugs. Remember, tools can be used for good or evil. And Ayami's like, okay, if a bland square like you was saying it's all fine, I'll believe you. <laughs> well, I mean, it is that is kind of true. A tool's just a tool. How it's used is based on the person using the tool. So the build divers start to celebrate, and Miss Tori is like, here's the catch. It's all purely theoretical, and according to my calculations, our chances of success are bullshit, 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 5%. I would really like to know how she arrived at that number. Maybe they just ran the simulation like a couple hundred times. That makes sense. She's got that computer room. My problem with them stating it at such a low percentage is we're pretty sure they're going to succeed anyway based on how the series goes. So they're really just being like, yeah, it's going to be low, but you're protagonist, so that doesn't matter anyway. You're absolutely right about that, Zach. The flip side of that, of that though, is characters like Rommel, right? Because even Kiyoya shares your opinion. But Rommel is like a reasonable human being who's like, 5%, that's ridiculous. Like, if they have any higher a percentage chance rommel becomes a villain for saying no to this right well i feel like even if you're still even if it's still at like 30 percent, rommel's still fine if they can increase it to that but they leave it at such a low number which basically means that the number itself is meaningless i mean it's meaningless anyway because it's fiction but still i feel like the tipping point there was like a 50 50 shot like i feel like that would actually have been better because it introduces some conflict and like 
as we get to the end of the episode where it's like 10,000 against one, maybe that could have flipped some people who are like, you know what, maybe this artificial life form is worth the 50-50 chance of destroying GBN. Yeah, that's why I think it needs to be such a low number. Because I think at 50%, Kyoyo is flipped. I mean, honestly, I think at 5%, he's flipped. But <laughs> yeah, because Rommel's right there. <laughs> what we actually see him in this actual episode is kind of already on their side. Yeah, but he's not literally on their side. I would like to know how their architecture works, because I also feel like they talk about how they blocked off the server for the break decals. Couldn't you do something similar? What, couldn't you block Sarah in a place? Block her into a place and let them try this? That's super easily solved with a they try it and it doesn't work. But you're right, because we also have seen that presumably she's affecting servers that she's not in already. So I'm willing to give her that. But it does seem like a solution the GM should have tried before he was like, murder, only way we can do it. So they reiterate that Sarah's personality data is gigantic. And when it is salvaged, the data could disperse and fuck GBN over. Yeah, and then it would be the worst case scenario. She would die and GBN would be destroyed. Have these guys never heard of backups or rollbacks? It's just so pervasive. The problem is they don't actually have a dev environment to test any changes, so everything's just in production all the time. They, they don't have a beta environment or a test server? You wouldn't want to fracture the player base, Zach. So Miss Tori is like, I'll try to increase our odds as much as I can with programming, but I only have a few days because the administration will probably be done with the patch in a few days. And Riku is like, well, at least it's some hope, right? A 5% chance is better than the 0% chance we had before. Where there's a will, there's a way type of thing. Which is probably the right pep talk for right now. And everyone's like, I admire your shonen optimism, Riku. And it cuts to uh, the champ sitting behind his desk. And he's like, man, I wish I was a shonen protagonist still. It sucked that day I turned 18 and had to become reasonable and, adult and adultish. <laughs> and he's got mail from Riku and he's like, huh, wonder what this is. And it's basically Riku just telling the champ what they just talked about. Like, that's basically all it is. It's communicating to the champ, which is important for the next scene. He apparently just sent it to everybody he knows, because Rommel and the GM also got it, and Kiyoyu's immediately like, we have to have a meeting about this important information. And I assume Rommel had a meeting with the GM beforehand, and is like, Kiyoyu is coming right now, and we have to be united front. We have to be <laughs> united as parents and tell him he can't have this. I actually really like this whole thing, because is like, no, it's a chance. We can take it. We can try this. This is the other reason I think the 5% chance is important. Even though I agree with you, Zach, it's a meaningless number, because we know it's going to succeed. That the champ is all for it is important, I think, because it characterizes him later and his whole setup to Riku of like, hey, I'm always in for a 5% chance. Being the best is about pushing the limits as much as you can. Well, I like when he talks to Riku later on and he's like, do you really think those arguments are going to sway people? I know they won't because I tried them already. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So they're like, yeah, 5% is out of the question. And he's like, it's not zero. But Rommel's like, yeah, it is 95% chance of failure. No, but see, we got to look at it like baseball. It's not a five. It's not a ninety-five percent chance of failure. It's a five percent chance of success. And Rommel's like, "Hey, you're too sentimental, champion. We have to run the numbers." And the champion should be like, "Hey, Rommel, remember that time you ever beat me?" <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, the thing is, we don't know if Rommel has actually beaten the champ in certain instances. We don't know what their their head-to-head record is. We know there's a rivalry there, at least a rivalry where both sides respect one another. But we don't know what the actual balance between the two sides are. Rommel points out that the Kiyoya is the sort of person in missions who will rush in to try to help if there's any chance of success. But Rommel's like, this is real life, though. There's more than a minor penalty for failure here. 
we lose everything, actually. He does put it in, in a terminology that the champ understands of saying, you can't try again if you damage out. He's like, I know I said I'd consider anything, but 5% chance is not worth considering. Cut to Riku, who has not got any replies and is sad about it. And then just leaves. Yep, and then he flies off into his Gundam. He specifically didn't log out, but he is taking out the 00 sky somewhere. And his friends are worried about this. When she brings up that menu to show all their Gundams, presumably in their hangar, does that mean any of them could take any of the Gundams that are in the hangar at the time? I don't know. It could be that. It could also just very easily be you can see what Gundams are in your hangar while you're in your force base. That's true. And it would also make sense if you could give permissions to other people to borrow them. Yeah. But they default to only you. So cut to Castle Avalon at night, where Sarah is being very sad in her bed. You can tell because Maul is also sad. And it's dark. Well, it's Avalon Castle. It's always dark. Yeah, but she doesn't have any lights on, Tyler. Except for the light of all the photos she has as she looks at her photos of all her friends. And she's like, oh man, everybody's so happy in this world. I should just die so they can keep being happy. That's probably what Riku would want. So there's a knock at her door and Maul goes to see who it is. And I do love this. Like, it's very efficient storytelling and also very funny when Maul just bounces off the door and there's a force field that says you can't leave. But Kiyoya lecturing her on it seems weird afterwards. It's not like Sarah is trying to escape. Her well, pet and- just got excited to see him. <laughs> and we already know, like that she's not going anywhere and presumably she knows she already can't go anywhere and you've just showed us that they couldn't leave so you don't need to tell us that in words yeah it's very clunky because like you said he just showed it you just showed you don't need to end tell other than for i guess kiyoya to transition to this bit about normally leaving would be super easy since you just have to log out he's like you still haven't told me what you want which I do believe is true, because she hasn't actually answered that question. She came back with him, but I don't think she ever actually answered it. At least she didn't answer it on screen. And she's like, yeah, I want to Jesus it. I've got a martyr complex now. And oh my god, wind. Please kill me so everyone can be happy. Which is definitely not the answer Kyoya wanted to hear. And he's like, how did you hang out with that shonen boy so long and not have any shonen rub off on you? <laughs> well, and... Like, she smiles at him and says, I can protect everyone smiling. Kiyoya's like, God damn it, I wanted you to say I want to live. He looks physically pained. I wanted to point you at Rommel and say, is 5% not worth this when you made a very cute sad face? And at the same time, like, I think he actually does kind of have physical pain there, Tyler. Because, like, he knows her and she's so adorable when she says that. It's like, how could you not? And it's exactly what he says as soon as he leaves us. How could anyone say that's not human? And her motivations are exactly the same as his, right? Rommel came back and was like, hey, why did we fight the break decals? It was protect GBN. And she is doing this to protect GBN. And she's like, ah, I am content and have accepted death. I've evolved into the final form of Waif. <laughs> and Kyoya does the angry fish shake and like Zack said, is like, man, how could anyone say that's not human? I love the mix of, I think, Zeon and Zaft uniforms here guarding the perimeter. There are a couple more in there, but it is mostly Zeon and Zaft because those are the most iconic ones, of course. And they're like, <laughs> like, like, I love how they're guarding the perimeter with ground troops. Like anyone who assaults this is going to do it on foot. Well, I think the idea is that they've got something set up around the base. So you can't just fly up to it. Otherwise, Riku probably would have just flown up to it. Riku's like, I don't have an appointment, but please let me see the champ. And they're like, no. Go away. We have no room for shonen boys here. He won't see anyone until the update patches Someone, out. Someone, I think, specifically says that uh, Riku wasn't allowed to see yep, him. Yep, very shortly they're going to say that, yeah. But Amelia is here and is like, hey, he's like the protagonist. Let him through. So Kiyoyo with his two lieutenants has a meeting with Riku. And Riku's like, hey, did you get my email? Did you get that thing I sent you? 
And he's like, oh, the success rate is 5%. The reason that you're not allowed to see me is I had to practice being very cold because I'm very bad at it. <laughs> well, that's also why he's making sure not to look at him right away. He's looking in the mirror of the window to make sure his face is composed. Checking his reflection. He's acting as the heel, basically being Rommel at... at uh... He's more being devil's advocate, but you're right. He's taking Rommel's position because he's been forced to. And Riku is like, the possibility isn't zero. And he's like, fuck it, that's what I... I mean... Um... I already know this. I've tried to make these arguments already. It's like, also, the success rate might go up because we're trying hard. I do want to say, Riku is animated this entire time with this sweat drop on his right cheek. We see it from multiple angles, and I don't understand why. It doesn't make him look more determined or nervous. It looks like he's got a pimple in his, like he's going through an awkward teenage pimple phase. I think the idea is to try and make him either look more determined or nervous since he's trying to appeal to the champion. But I'm not sure really why that would be since he knows the champ, so he shouldn't really be nervous making this appeal. I mean, it's high stakes, but I feel like you put sweat on his brow if that's what you're going for. Yeah, it's just, a, it's a very weird decision. And Kyo's like, that's just wishful thinking. And I really like that they showed us earlier that Kiyoya was making these exact same arguments. Yeah, it's super important for what comes later and for Kiyoya's character. It is another thing like I was talking about up front. Who is Kiyoya beholden to that he feels like he has to make these? Or the only possibility is Rommel has swayed him on some level, even if he's uncomfortable. That he agrees with Rommel, even if it's not what the choice he would make. This is my interpretation of it, is that because Kiyoya is a public figure, he's a well-known figure, he feels like he has to act as that figurehead of we have to protect GBN as a whole. So he's basically forcing himself into this situation because as that public figure, he has to hold himself to a higher standard. Yeah, and I could also headcanon it very easily as him being like, well, if I betray the organization, then who's going to protect Sarah? That's also possible. No matter how much you do in the short amount of time, you can only have it go up a couple percentage points. It doesn't matter how you beg. You're not going to convince anyone like that. I do like that, though. It won't matter how much you beg because you'll not convince them like that. Believe me, I already tried. Really quick before we get into the Kyoya basically planting the seed of Riku's rebellion here. They do manage to more than double their projected odds in like three days. I mean, that's pretty good, but it's also pretty easy to double your odds when the odds are already so low. No, for sure. I guess my point is, there is no actual timeline on when the patch to Sarah needs to be applied in order to save GBN. The answer is soon-ish, right? It seems completely unreasonable that they wouldn't be like, oh, wow, you've made a ton of progress in just three days. Maybe we can pitch some more resources in behind you instead of applying this patch and investigate alternative routes. Here's my argument against that, Tyler. They also don't know how much time they might have for it to break the thing down completely. They don't know if they only have four days. So it's like, oh, you doubled your time in these three days. Great. But at the same time, we don't know if we're going to have a situation where on day four, it crashes everything and it's ruined yeah but the gm was saying like months a few episodes ago and i don't think it's been months since then i don't know i feel like they have an unknown amount of time and this is a much better alternative than delete a new life form i really feel like this should be more compelling than it is i would definitely agree if they already have like got a like a timeline where they know that they have like at least a month or something like that especially if the things aren't getting worse and like we doubled our rate look we went from we more than doubled it we went from five percent to twelve percent give us some more resources and who knows we might be able to get to a hundred percent with the appropriate resources that's why the GM has to be such a heel about this, right? Because otherwise it doesn't work at all. 
he has to be the one saying, no, we can't do that. I do agree with Zach's, like, there is a point at which she will do irreparable damage, right? And they don't know where that is necessarily. It might even be before she destroys GBN. Yeah, that's entirely fair. I'm just like... I was mostly playing devil's advocate. I'm actually kind of on the same side as Tyler is with that. And it's absolutely where I was the first time I watched it too, which like I said, is why the Sarah plot development is so frustrating because so few of the characters are willing to engage with it. And the ones that are, are doing the very basic, of course, she's human, all life is life, don't be prejudiced against people, which is a, a story be I'm absolutely fine with in any fiction, especially fiction aimed at young kids. Like I said, it's also kind of the entire thrust of Gundam Seed, but it's a very basic playing with this when there's a lot of things to consider when you've created life. Interestingly, like I said, uh, I think before we recorded, I rewatched the end of Re-Rise, which recontextualizes how Sarah came to be in some very interesting ways. Interesting. But yeah, I will just leave that hanging for now. So back to the conversation where Kiyoya is like, yeah, you're right. It is meaningless for you to meet me like this. The coalition said you're a security risk. In fact, I don't want the GM or Robble to find out you were here. But uh, I wanted to just give you like a little bit of provi- advice, just, or just plant a little seed and tell you that I wasn't elected or anything. My authority comes because I'm very good at this. GBN players don't vote on things. You don't vote on who is the best. You just are the best. I do feel like this is kind of a simple point of view because being the champion doesn't really give him authority automatically. I think it works fine for this story. I think at the same time, it's also kind of giving him the... Like, when when they agreed to join the, the coalition, they kind of agreed to give him authority over make uh, over those decisions. They weren't really, like, majority vote, but they said, we will join your coalition, and so because of that, we will accept your judgment on these matters. Like, you are in charge, for better or worse. Well, and originally, the coalition was his idea. And he's like, yeah, so if you can prove you're all that, then new options might open up for you. And that's all I wanted to say. Get out of here. And the sweat drop looks the worst when he goes to a determined look right after. So Amelia is leading him out, and he pauses and she's like, hey, something wrong. And then he just yells Sarah's name. And I will say, I don't like the animation on him yelling it to Sarah there. It's because they want a transition cut, and there's not a better way to do it. I think it's fine. I definitely had similar thoughts, but I can't think of the better way to do that. And it was just like, hey, we found a way to save you. And I love like Amelia's like, hey, oh, well, if anyone's going to hear you, they already heard you. So I guess if I shut you up now, it just looks more suspicious. Well, and it's also not like, what does it really matter? He's been pretty open with his intentions for this entire time. Kiyoya just said, I don't want anyone else to know you were here. So yelling in the middle of the castle is not great for that. But he gives Sarah a speech about not giving up and not losing hope. He gives her the shonen speech. And Sarah's like, oh, that made my, my martyrdom a lot harder. And Amelia's like, yeah, cool. If we could just very subtly come this way. So the rest of Bill Divers followed him here, I guess, and are waiting at the perimeter. And they're like, hey, they didn't lock you in the dungeon. That's cool. I like how Momo is like, we were so worried. Like, what were the possible outcomes you were imagining here, Momo? Well, I mean, it, I guess it is possible he could have been banned. That's the worst case scenario, right? Being trapped in the castle, like I said, he can log out, but he can't help them if he is trapped there. But you're right, it is a little melodramatic. What would happen if he logs out in there? Does he log back in where he logged out? So would he log back in in the dungeon? I presume so. But as we speculated before, maybe he can just choose to log back in in the entrance. Because giving other players the ability to imprison each other is not a great feature. So Rika's like, yeah, let's save Sarah, I've decided. So cut to their base, and they're like, hey, Maggie, thanks for coming. And he's like, no problem, I'm your mom, how could I say no? And also my force are like, believe in free love. But most of the other forces were told to join the coalition. We also see that Lashat Noir, at least their leadership, is here already. Lashat Noir Neo, I believe, is actually the, the technical You're right. term. 
they're here, Maggie's now here, and Tiger Wolf shows up and is like, I'm here to help. He's like, yo. He's like, what are you doing here, Tiger Wolf? He's like, you literally invited. And they're like, yeah, but we did not actually expect you to come. Because <laughs> the coalition called him. So they were like, I wasn't expecting you to show up. Yeah, and here's where, like I said at the beginning, we get into him being like, yeah, but I don't like how they're doing things. I want to help Sarah. Toriboru, for reasons unknown, because political factions, something, something. I don't know. The champ's going to withhold medical supplies from them if they don't <laughs> join. So they can't. So I quit. Which, like I said, because it was set up earlier, kind of works. And he's like, I'm a freelancer and I'm going to help you. I called Shariar, but he didn't show, he didn't answer. I tried to bring my boyfriend, but he left me on red. Not sure what's going on with that. <laughs> I do find that amusing. So Maggie says, I'm sure you'll be a big help. And I wish literally any character in the show was capable of sarcasm because I definitely read that sarcastically. Well, I mean, Tiger Wolf is legitimately one of the better players in the game. Like he's supposed to be like number seven or something like that, right? No, number seven is Randy. <laughs> Oh, no, I you're believe right. he is above that, but he's like a top five player, I believe. Yeah, he, or at the very least, he's top ten. Well, Riku's top ten, and he's above that, so. I do like how he's like, who are these kids who are, like, fanboying over me? I do like how all the kids are just, like, playing. And especially later, when they're just, like, all hanging on him. Yeah, well, he lifts them up. He's like, oh, yeah, I get to be the cool uncle. And he's just like, what a frivolous bunch joining a losing fight like this. And someone points out that he also jumped. He also decided to jump in on the losing side. And he has no reaction to that. Uh, Lashat Norio is like, yeah, we're allies. Remember, it was set up earlier, so we have to pay it off. And Maggie literally says, I'm their guardian, so it's natural I would help her. <laughs> Maggie has been kind of acting that part the entire time, so I guess that makes some sense. Usually we joke about him being their mom. Here he's literally like, yes, and I'm their mom. I had the van. And Koichi's like, okay, it's briefing time. And see... Avalon Castle during the day, guys. Okay. Oh my god, it exists. So Avalon's force rank is also number one, which I think we already knew that. We did. I like this substructure. Gareth, Mordred, Galahad, Ewain, Gawain, and more. (laughs) I love that the rank is hypergrade. Yeah, hypergrade forces. If their substructure is Mordred, you can exploit that. Because Mordred is the betrayer. Well, it depends on when in continuity they are, though. So, like, Sarah's currently in the forest nest, and we've received word that the update program will be completed tomorrow, so we're going to do this last second for maximum drama. But they won't use it right away. They'll use it during the raid battle. Uh, I wonder who gave them the information that they have an inside man. It was just Kyoya. Well, Miss Tori also might theoretically have the ability to access that. I feel like there are a number of people who might have joined the coalition who would be sympathetic to them. Yeah, we get the Build Divers spinoff manga that's all about the rebel spies in the coalition. <laughs> Many Bothan cosplayers face the minor penalty to bring us this information. I love how during this whole thing, all of the kids besides a uh, hero from Le Chat Noir, Neo, are sitting on Tiger Wolf. Yeah, Uncle Tiger Wolf. He's warm and fuzzy. So he basically phrases it as, we're rescuing the princess during the big moment. I guess we're going to be supervillains. I do love him. I was like, yeah, you look like a bad guy. He's like, what does that mean? And here she's like, we have three days to plan. Okay, Dad. What does that make the two adults from Le Chat Noir? Are they also uncle and aunt? I think all the other adults are aunts and uncles, obviously. Because you've got Dad Koichi, uh, Team Mameyame, actual Mom Maggie, and cool Uncle Tiger Wolf. And lame uncles show and uh, battle pope. <laughs> I think show is the battle pope. Cut to the lobby where we see some Godzilla imagery. And people are just like, oh man, is the raid battle going to go okay with that L-diver? And they're like, yeah, the administration will take care of it. And Patrick Collisar is there, staring off into the middle distance, dressed <laughs> as Seiya again. 
cut to Gundam base where they're all working on their Gumpla. I love that Ayami's here and that Nanami is being IRL mom and bringing them juice. We also see Koichi and Tsukasa in the same room together, uwu. I think it's actually Koichi's room specifically. I'm pretty sure it is. I like how it's got all the stacks of his Gunpla boxes all over the place. We've seen his room before, and it looked like this before too. Yeah, I'm just glad that they didn't change it or anything like that. Yeah. We also cut to the Namekian Garden, where Kiyoi is there too, looking over the patch notes. That's the real reason he's number one. He always gets first access to the patch notes, so he knows what's OP. No, he just actually reads the patch notes, and nobody else who plays Bill Divers is capable of reading. I would guess Sharyar. Sharyar is also capable of it. I would bet that Rommel reads the patch notes. And then ignores them because they are always nerfing traditional military units. Rommel probably not only reads the patch notes, he goes in and has like a spreadsheet for all the patch notes. Bare minimum, he has a guy who does that. Yeah, probably. We see a very brief shot of Riku sending an alliance request to another force. Blink and you'll miss it. I, in fact, did miss that. Is he sending it to Ogre? I think I know who he sent it to because of what's at the end, but uh, I also missed that he sent an alliance request. I think if you see the scene, you can figure out very easily who he sent it to, but it's very easy to miss. And I will say they are saving it as a reveal for next episode. Okay. And and I think when you have that information, it becomes even more obvious because there's only one person who's not in play. I mean, Ogre would make sense. They have a rivalry going on. Cut back to the bird nest where Koichi's like, well, this is the final version of the program and the success rate is 12%. Which, I mean, when you're starting at 5, getting to 12, like Tyler said, in such a short time, that's actually outstanding. And that's Riku's opinion as well. I will point out that they've gone from a 1 in 20 chance to like a 1 in 8 chance, which is like, not bad. I mean, it's still not great. It's not a lot of Pokemon move I would use, and that's lower stakes, but it is a <laughs> tremendous increase. And right here, Riku does point out it's more than doubled now, which, yeah, well freaking done. Gotta, and gotta look on the, the bright side when you're looking at something as such a small number. And they've already committed to doing it, even when it was 5%. And Miss Tori's like, I will support you as much as I can, but that will be very vague and nebulous. She's a dev. Can't you give them access to some dev tools, like wall hacks and shit? I believe she is equally bad as the GM at giving them stuff she should have the power to give them. <laughs> that would make me laugh, though. Okay, how do they know where we are? Someone gave them dev codes. Cut to Avalon's dining room where Kiyoya is telling Sarah, we'll execute it today, and by it, I do mean you. And Sarah looks so happy sad. Yeah, well, she has decided this is for the best. Although she's also putting up on front for Kiyoya. Exactly, her facade drops as soon as he leaves the room. I do love how he's got this nice terrace for just him, his two lieutenants, the GM, and Rommel. And that guard in the corner. He's like, we have completed the update patch and are about to deploy it. This is a magical time, and we won't even have to take the servers down. The WoW servers have been down all day today, because Blizzard is uh, advancing to Burning Crusade, a pa- an expansion that came out in 2008. I'm sorry, 2007. Anyway, not important. It's like, soon, GBN won't be in any danger due to the L-Diver. And everyone's like, yay, victory. Murder. I would believe that people would do that because a lot of those people don't know Sarah in person. Like, So to them, she's just this bug that is causing problems. Whereas to Kiyoya, she's a person. Like, he knows her. Zach, that's not my problem with the credibility of this. I can't imagine a bunch of NPCs in Stormwind cheering because a new patch is coming out. (laughs) I don't think those are NPCs, though. Did I say NPCs? I meant PCs. 
I meant players. I can't see a bunch of players at the bank like doing a cheer emote when they hear a new patch is come out, coming. It's like, it'll fix the corrupted blood bug. Maybe that is the exception. And if we think this is similar, then... That's the thing. It's not just a patch. It is a patch to fix all of these bugs that have been going on and to stop the game from coming apart at the seams. All those terrible bugs that has done such awful things as create lightning at a race once. Anyway, Riku hacks into the sky. <laughs> uh, what, what What is it called? Oh, man, like Riku totally supervillains this. This is a Batman the Animated Series Joker maneuver. I was actually thinking of Lacus hijacking the airwaves. The thing we're so close to in Destiny and I have wanted to talk about for so long. I thought we already passed that part. No, we have not. We're so fucking close. I thought I watched us uh, go through that part. Maybe you did. That might be the next episode, actually. But no, we're not there yet. Uh, Anyway, yes, he does. We're going to get a lot of Gundam seed from Riku right now. And he's like, hey, everybody, I've got a 12% chance of saving Sarah. I think we should do it. And I'm here to throw down. He starts with the carrot. Well, I mean, it makes sense. He even starts trying to take the high ground, very terrorist leader of Return Our Members. Like, he read about them in Time Magazine, being like, hey, uh, we're going to ask you to give our teammate Sarah back. He's getting some inspiration here from Lelouch. And GM's like, no, she will destroy the world. And Riku's like, I don't know, like let her hang out at our place and then patch her out but she's like yeah there's a small possibility that we can save her so and gbn <laughs> like the mob is like that's impossible you suck but rommel is like, like yeah but it's just a five percent chance right like this is reasonable from rommel like that's the thing about this is like rommel has always struck me as the reasonable individual well he's playing the middle of the field specifically right that's the role they've put him in the gm is clearly unreasonable and kyoya is the optimist so by being in the middle, Rommel is forced in that way. And so Kiyoya playing his role is like, are you saying it's worth betting on that small chance? And Riku's just instantly, yes, it is. I love the dude dressed up as uh, the guy from the Maxter Gundam pilot. Yeah, I was trying to remember his, it's g- g- Gibbity. Uh, Chibity. Chibity. There we go. Thank you. Yeah, Chibity Crockett. I like this guy in the Athrun Zaft red uniform. I don't know why the proportions on it just look weird on this tall guy. And there's another dude later on that's uh, dressed as Argo. And Rommel is like, this is absurd. It's the same possibility as a non-ranking force defeating an army of the top-ranked players in the game. And Riku's like, motherfucker, you just activated my trap card. (laughs) All right, then. Let's go. (laughs) You're on. Did Kiyoya feed you that line? Because I could not have planned it more perfectly. And Riku's like, yeah, what if we put our money where our mouth is? What if we could make the impossible possible? And somewhere, dead Mulaflaga salutes. <laughs> I would have laughed if he said this and it flashed to a dude that had, like, the Mulaflaga flight suit. Or Randy, who we know has a Mobius Zero, is like, yeah, he's got a point. I think I'm on his side, guys. Yeah, basically says, if we can prove it, will you bet on us? And the GM, uncharacteristically, is like, yeah, I guess, hypothetically speaking. <laughs> the dual grin we see of Kiyohi and Riku. I love that, like, that both of them have that same reaction. is like, yes, my pupil. Again, Rommel and the GM just hand them this. They just, like I said, it's full, you have activated my trap card. It's like, whose side are you on anyway? I almost kind of wonder if Kyoya secretly met with Rommel and said, okay, look, I've got a plan. Like I said, I wonder if he fed him this line in some way. Given Rommel's reaction later, I don't think Rommel is in on this, but I wonder if Kiyoya said something similar, just so the idea was percolating. I would believe that. Kiyoya does seem to be a pretty canny dude, so I would believe that when they were talking about it at one point that somebody said this. And so Riku's like, okay, let's stake it on a Gumpla battle then. And everybody's shocked that he's daring this. 
And he repeats the champ and is like, in GBN, we don't vote. We decide things with Gumpa battle. The way G Gundam intended. And the GM is like, motherfucker, no, we are not going to. And Kyo, he's like, oh, yep, nope, we, we have to do it if you propose it. He invoked the right ancient trial by combat. I don't, we just gotta. Yeah, look, Cersei has the mountain on her side, so she's innocent. It's just how it works. Yeah, so Kyo says, we'll give you that chance and here's the format we're gonna do sarah will be the flag if you and your allies can defeat all of us and get the flag you win it seems to be that it's gonna be a one down out mission yeah yeah which provided time isn't of the essence you could guerrilla warfare that shit do we think the build divers could guerrilla warfare that shit no they're allies ayame could you're right she is a ninja ayame's got the brains for that but i don't think riku does koichi has the brains but not the right mobile suit for it I guess brains isn't the right word. I don't think that uh, Riku has the patience for that. That too. So we find out that it's 10,000 to 1. Well, that's what the champ says. He might be exaggerating for the sake of theater. He does say, if you can defeat us with that, we'll bet on your plan. The GM's like, why are you giving him this chance? And Kyo's like, well, you think I'm going to lose? I'm the champ, bitch. But he is like, that's not the point. And, and Rommel saying, I see here, I think is at this point is where Rommel gets it. Because he's like, so this is how you're going to settle things and like live with yourself. All right, I'm in. As soon as Rommel basically says that, the GM is like, what the hell is wrong with you people? You're like, we're very into our hobby. Did you not watch Yu-Gi-Oh! or Gundam Build Fighters? The Gumpo battle is officially accepted. And it is switching everything over to the force battle mode. I do love the captain going into, like, command mode here and be like, take your positions. Yep, see, there's Argo. Yep. And the base players are like, well, if the champ says so, then it's fine. We'll just have to crush them. I mean, there's only a few of them. I like the Bolt Gundam. So, yeah, Bolt Gundam, Psycho Gundam, I don't recognize the, like, one on the far left that it's panned over. Or any of the rest of these. Like, the one in the back looks like it's probably out of a Musou game. And Kyo's like, hey, thanks, Rommel. He's like, hey, whatever lets you sleep at night. And I think that is one of the main things that Rommel understands is that this is, like, if they just went through with it, Kiyoyu would feel guilty for such a long time afterwards. And so Kiyoyu's like, well, if he's in my position, just running in recklessly, then I will have to be the hero that saves everyone and the sword that protects the world. And I love that he has a heel costume. And by that, I mean, like, a full white cowboy outfit. He applies a white dye to his current outfit and changes it to white. I love the animation, though, because he tears off his coat to reveal that he was just wearing another coat. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's su- incredibly Super Sentai. So, Rommel immediately after that aside goes into giving orders to guard all the gates, and this is also where the credits start. I also do love this A New Hope-ass briefing room we've got. And like, uh, block all the land and air routes and figure out where they're going to attack from. I do like how all the spawn locations, they're just camping. And they're like, see all the route from the lunar surface, too. Then we cut to a giant space crab. It's the same guys from uh, the, what was that mission called? The Lotus Challenge. And he's like, hey, I like people who take difficult missions. This is right up my alley. Also, you quoted Move a Flogged. Who doesn't like that guy? This is great. I kind of wish they would colony drop at the Space Crab as part of this. That would be pretty good. And he says, if you guys are going to do this again, you beat us. I want to see you do it to them. So we see they have three shuttles that they take off from giant enemy space crab they're the same shuttle that they used in the lotus challenge but now apparently koichi's made two more of them they didn't show exactly who's in what shuttle but at the very least we know that tiger wolf and maggie are in the same shuttle which i believe is deliberate because of the way this episode ends kiwi and rommel just in the briefing room well sarah is unguarded in her prison which i guess kind of makes sense but well everyone's guarding the gates yeah but they don't realize that they're all already on the server they're just in space which I think is really is genius. They issued this challenge after already entering the server. 
this is almost definitely not going to come up, but we saw that Sarah couldn't leave her room earlier. Are they going to drag her out of the room and then that force field is never going to come up again? The last time we saw a flag battle, they just had to touch the flag. Okay, fair. I don't remember how this ends, but that tracks to me. I was assuming that it was going to have the same rules of all they have to do is reach Sarah. They have to touch Sarah to win. They're like, yeah, three coming from space. It's the build divers. And then Rommel's like, no, I have been tactically outmaneuvered. But he did at least position a ton of artillery. And I love we see a heavy arms, a Zaut, a Zamzaza, and a Baku. With the missile pack. Just open up on these guys. Blow them to hell and destroy one of the shuttles. It does make me wonder if whether or not one of the shuttles was a decoy to begin with. I believe that is what the case is. But again, have not watched this in a while. And we end on Riku having a determined face. And that's the end of the episode. So yeah, it works. Like I said, it's very similar to the slow episodes of Gundam Seed. It's got characterization. Ends with the start of a big fight. Yeah. The only real critiques I have of it are it not doing its homework earlier. There's so much they could have done with earlier episodes to make this more exciting or make the character stuff work better. But I have very little to complain about in this episode, which is weird. Yeah, me too. I was actually going to say I really like the way that it's setting Rommel and Kyoya against each other, but only kind of. It does a lot of things surprisingly well for this show. There is the incident where Nriku is talking to Kyoya and he's just got the random sweat drop. Oh, yeah, that's pretty terrible. And like I said, the problem of like, what do the forces lose if they say no? Yeah, that's not established. Couldn't all of Toria bore you? been on Riku's side, it seems like it would have been fine. Also, I'm still disappointed with how unreasonable the GM's being like, oh, you guys like made a ton of progress. Maybe we can afford to like take a couple weeks and maybe throw some engineers at this problem of saving the first artificial intelligence we have ever encountered. Yeah, but he just sees her as a bug, Tyler. The naturals aren't humans. We need to blow up Earth. Yeah, okay, that tracks. For the preservation of our pure and blue GBN. Yes, exactly. Do you have a high point, Tyler? I'm actually going to go specifically with the scene right before Kyoya makes the announcement and he comes in to check on Sarah and like seeing her face change immediately when he goes out of the room. I don't know. It's just a good character piece. And we can see that she's now having doubts about her decision now that Riku shonen across the yard at her. Zach? See, I had a couple, but I think the one I have to go with because of just the audacity of it is the double you have activated my trap card smirks from Riku and Kyoya at the same time. <laughs> It was Look, really it's a good. good. Spell. Yeah, that was high up there for me. I suppose I'm going to take Kiyoya playing devil's advocate and like the subtle characterization on him throughout this episode about how he is clearly on Riku's side and he has politically maneuvered this battle into existence. Do you have a low point, Tyler? Not any great ones. I have a couple like kind of meh points that are not really low points. I guess I wish I could have seen a little bit more of Tsukasa and Koichi like working together. Like they're not focal characters, so it doesn't matter that much, but I would have been interested in that personally. Yeah, I would kill for an episode about their relationship. And I don't think it needs to be this episode. I think it should have like done its homework and had it earlier. Yeah. But I would have loved some more of that too. Because it's all in montage, right? We don't get any characterization between them this episode. Like, are they falling back into their old friendship? Are they just work buddies at this point? We did have a little bit of it when they were talking, basically going over the things that they were talking about before, where Tsukasa was saying, I don't want to let GBN burn down on its own. I want to burn it down. But that's the closest we get. But I feel like that's all stuff about Tsukasa's character, not about their relationship. Yeah, I'm just saying that's about as close as we get. Do you have a low point, Zach? I mean, there's the obvious one of just the fact that this episode would have been like, it's, it's the fact that they didn't do their homework beforehand. Like, I think that's the low point. 
with the honorable mention going to the random sweat drop, but... Yeah, I was going to say, I almost want to take that sweat drop if you're taking that. But I suppose if you're cheating and taking both, I wish I could have seen some of the pressure put on other forces. Like, I wish that had some tangible thing. Because then it makes Tiger Wolf quitting kind of a more important character choice. Although, like I said, I think that's a moment where they actually did their homework. Where we saw him earlier talking about Tushariar about like, is this what I want out of GBN? I'm not sure. Do we want to add a Gundam to our list? We don't have to this week. We've got three more episodes and I feel like maximum two more machines to put on. Uh, Maybe three more machines, but we have three more episodes. We still don't have the 00 Sky on there. I wanted to do the Shock Gundam way back at when, but we, I think we'll get more of it next episode. Uh, And there's one more, but I don't think this episode makes sense to do it. Do we want to do that this week or wait for another week that has more mobile suit action in it? I am fine putting the 00 Sky on there. Like, I feel like we've seen pretty much all the tricks it has, right? It's so weird to be putting it on the list before the Destiny or the 00. (laughs) Yeah, that is super weird. But there's no way around that, the way we're doing this. I guess comparing it to protagonist mobile suits is the way to go. It's definitely no Freedom Gundam, right? No. I feel it's a lot more comparable to the Ale Strike. I have a tremendous fondness for the Ale Strike's design. So I think it's a little better, but I'm open to being convinced here. I think they're actually quite comparable. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like the Double S guy, it's a lot more general than even the Ale Strike, but it's almost got too much going on. It's definitely got more going on than the Ale Strike. I think that's good, though, because I like when the second suit the protagonist has has more going on. I have the same problem with just looking at the Double S guy as I have with the Destiny, and it's I feel it's too cluttered. So I think I'd probably go with the Ale Strike. It's just got a cleaner design to me. I think that's also the way I'm leaning. Like, I like the layout of the 00 Sky. I like that it's got stupid melee mode, that which probably never comes up again. I like that it kind of ties in with, like, the whole soccer thing, because it has, like, the shin missiles, or shin lasers. But I think I, like, just overall, I prefer the Ale Strikes design. How do we think it compares to what we put on here last week, the GP Rays 2? Because I think I like it more than that. I think it's got better color balance, and it doesn't have that bulk. And like I said, I prefer the Agile suits to the bulky ones. That was uh, Ogre's suit from last time around? Yep. Yeah, the Sky is more lean than that thing. And while it is busy, so is the Rays 2. So I think I would agree with it. The color balance is also, like you said, a lot better. I think putting them near each other makes sense, though, to me. Yeah, I was going to say I might prefer the Rays 2 just slightly because, like, it's bulky, but all the extra stuff it has going on makes sense because it's so much bulkier. Well, man, we, this is going way higher than the Double O Diver, but that's fine. I think this is a better design. Oh, yeah. No, I, I agree. I think this is much better than the Double O Diver. So. In, in hindsight, that was the place to start, so I want to bring it up now so that we uh, get that noted, so to speak. It is better than the Double O Diver. So the final question becomes, is it better or worse than the Gawain from Code Geass? Worse. All the reasons why I said the Gawain above the uh, Rays 2 still apply. I like the color balance on the Gawain, the black and gold. The Anubis theme is still much better. And I still think the Double O Sky is way too fucking busy. I actually, just because I like Gundams a lot more than I like the, I don't even know what they're called in Code Geass. Nightmares. Nightmares. I like the Double O Sky more. I do agree with you on color scheme. I think that's way better on the Gawain, but I think that's the only edge it has. I also like the dumb Anubis aesthetic. I agree. I generally prefer the Gundam designs because they're a bit like, I don't know, they're more angular? I don't know. It's hard to quantify. They're more Gundam-y, which I prefer. Have you seen the Lancelot or the Gurren Mark II? Yeah, that seems like a weird way to put it, because I would say nightmares are way more angly than Gundams, but they got so many like sharp corners. 
But anyway. I think I'm landing with Zach on this one. I think I prefer the Gawain. Okay. So the 00 Sky goes at number 21. Pretty good showing. Above the Rays 2 and below the Gawain. For not a very good uh, TV series, they have some decent designs at least. Well, it's a huge advantage the entire build series gets, right? Is it's basically just redesigns of other stuff and the designers get to go crazy, right? Yeah, because they get to combine stuff with other stuff. Yeah, and sometimes that leads to really cluttered messes, but other times it leads to really nice designs. More than others, this is to sell toys, and so they get to go real toyetic with it. Makes me wonder if that was the inspiration behind the Destiny's design, because that thing is a fucking mess. The Destiny was an original design for the Freedom. It was supposed to combine the three packs of the uh, Strike. They turned it down because they thought it would be too difficult to animate. It does animate poorly, but it is still a mess. All right, so that does it for this week's episode. Join us next week when we will watch episode 23, The Fateful. Man, I can't imagine what this show does with three more episodes. <laughs> You've seen it before. Yeah, and I've seen it. Okay, so next episode is the battle. I could see them stretching that into two episodes or maybe one and a half. Then there's the whole, like, apply the patch of Sarah, a little bit of dramatic tension there. And then I feel like an epilogue. Do you really think this series needs an epilogue, Tyler? Needs is a strong word, but I would like to explore the, like, philosophical ramifications of taking an artificial intelligence out of a game and then giving it a physical body in the real world and the fallout from these events. Good news, Gundam Builders Rerise exists. It doesn't do that much, but it does do it a little. Dear God, is Sarah Ultron? <laughs> Just chippy Ultron. What you want, Tyler, is more explored in Rerise, but Rerise is also adds an element of Isekai on top of that. But Rerise at least seems to have taken into account the criticism that it does not explore this at all. I don't know that it explores it in a way you're actually going to like or look forward to. No. Also, there is a squirrel and a rabbit playing outside my window, and it's goddamn adorable. <laughs> so, speaking of that, uh, Tyler, is this Gundam or is this Isekai? So, this is a hard question because I was saying that it's kind of reverse Isekai now, but I still think that's closer to Isekai. <laughs> Although, this episode specifically was very Gundam. Tough choices. I think I'm going to land on Gundam on this one. Zach? I also have to land on Gundam for this one because we've got a, a, a brawl starting up. You know, it's starting with the declaration of what we're going to do. We're going around and we ended with the fight getting started. We've got a couple of shonen protagonists declaring they're going to make the impossible possible. It's got to be Gundam. All right. We will see you all next week. Bye. Bye.